In the world of e-commerce, I see a lot of people that accidentally fall into a business. And today we're going to talk about that, the accidental business. We're going to talk about how we all start with a dream of a little bit of side hustle, a little extra revenue, and sometimes it turns into what our guest calls a big ball of rubber bands and sometimes a lot of headaches. I think this will be an episode that pretty much all of our listeners can relate to or at least need to hear as a warning. Stay tuned. It's going to be a good one. Hi, I'm Tim Jordan, and in every corner of the world, entrepreneurship is growing. So join me as I explore the stories of successes and failures. Listen in as I chat with the risk takers, the adventurous, and the entrepreneurial veterans. We all have a dream of living a life fulfilling our passions, and we want a business that doesn't make us punch a time clock, but instead runs around the clock in the AM and the PM. So get motivated, get inspired. You're listening to the AM PM Podcast. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the AMPM Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Jordan. Today, we have a special guest, Matt DeCourcy, and we are going to talk about accidental businesses. A lot of you longtime listeners know my story, know that I did not intend to be an entrepreneur. I did not think I'd ever run a business. It kind of happened by accident, and I kind of figured it out. I won't say I have it all figured out, but it was a struggle. And in the e-commerce space that I deal with, uh, I see this all the time. I see people that you know, have a passion for a product or they, they just want to make an extra car payment a month and start a side hustle. Things start getting bigger. Things start happening and they don't know how to respond to that change. They don't know how to handle that, um, that extra pressure, that extra stress, that extra workload or some of these skills that, uh, that are required. So Matt is going to talk about his story, how he started that way. And then he's going to bring us some really awesome advice on uh, how to avoid some of the pitfalls and also some of the things that we can be doing that will uh, help us sustain our growth and, and continue to grow. So thank you, Matt, for being on. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to uh, sharing some interesting advice related to my wins, losses, and reality. So for all of you that are that are listening, you know that we try to bring you really great content and really great guests, and sometimes we need to frame that. So Matt's going to start his story in just a second, talking about how he started his business essentially in a spare bedroom with uh, essentially no money. But Matt, let's fast forward and talk about where you're at now. I know you have a very successful podcast, multiple businesses, you've written several books. Give us kind of the the quick resume of who Matt is and, and make sure everybody knows that your advice is credible. Yeah, sure. So once again, Matt DeCourcy, I am from Kansas City. I'm 45 years old, so I'm, I'm not the, the youngest entrepreneur anymore, but with that, I've gained some wisdom and experience. I'm currently the CEO and founder of a company called FullScale. I have a couple hundred employees worldwide. We sell tech services, so we help people build software teams, and uh, we do that in an office that's in Cebu City in the Philippines. Uh, with full scale, I'm also the host of the Startup Hustle podcast, which uh, is 550 episodes deep at this point, where we talk about a lot of similar stuff to what you talk about. Um, because I didn't have enough stuff to do building all that stuff, I wrote three books along the way, uh, one of which is called Million Dollar Bedroom, which I think we'll talk about some of that story today. It's an accidental business that got big. Um, another one's Balance Me, A Realist Guide to a Successful Life. And then in 2019, I published, uh, I co-authored uh, The Realist Guide to a Successful Music 
career as I worked in, the, in and around the music and live events industry for almost 15 years. So, um, yeah, with all that and, you know, and on top of all that, I'm a parent. Uh, I have two small children. So, I'm, I, I, yeah, I'm busy. Yeah, I get it. I get it. So let's talk about this accidental bedroom business. What were you doing before your uh, quote-unquote entrepreneurial journey began? Were you working in the corporate world? Yeah, I mean, more or less. I, I mentioned a few minutes ago that I worked in the music industry, and I, was, I wasn't I was a performer. Uh, I worked in the musical instrument business. So the last gig that I had, I was district sales manager for Roland, and Roland's the world's largest maker of electronic musical instruments. They make Boss, Roland, keyboards, a bunch of different stuff. And um, and I, I loved it. I love the industry. I'm really passionate about music. But what I didn't love is with a huge sales territory came a ton of travel. <clears throat> and after doing that for a couple of years, it just kind of wore on me. So I quit. And I wasn't really even sure what I was going to do yet. I was in my early 30s at that point. And I uh, decided to go back to school. I took a shot. I was I had never been a good student. I've actually dropped out of five colleges. And <laughs> Um, yeah, and I might be a junior now, maybe if all the credits transfer, but I'd never been a good student, but despite that, I decided to apply to a top 10 business school. And I wrote a great essay about all the stuff that I had learned and how I had managed to do well without a college degree. And surprisingly, I got in. Uh, and that was the Kelly School of Business. It's from uh, Indiana University. I used to live in uh, Indianapolis. And I was surprised. So that was part of me quitting my job. And here I am in my early 30s. I went back to school. I was having a great time. And then I ran out of money. And I started having to, you know, I was looking for side hustles. And this is, at this point, this is 2007, 2008. As we know it, the housing bubble was also kicking in. I was really just getting a lot of pressure and leverage for from a lot of different angles. And I was looking for something to do. And I think a lot of people are in that boat um, and, you know, really did. A, the, one of the very first sections in my book, Million Dollar Bedroom, is titled My Accidental Business and kind of stumbled into an e-commerce slash small business slash do it from home thing. And, you know, I'll give you, so, so you keep listening. I'll tell you that that business that I started with nothing other than a credit card with an $8,000 limit has turned into multiple businesses. And all those businesses have generated over $40 million in revenue since. So, but I went through a whole lot of stuff on the way to that. And I made a lot of mistakes and learned a lot of lessons. And I love sharing those with people because if I can help you avoid any of them, that's meaningful for you. I completely agree. It's funny you're talking about your college uh, college history. I could almost emulate that exact same story, um, word for word. It's interesting. So you've got to come up with money. You're, you're trying to figure out life. You accidentally find this business, right? Talk about some of the biggest struggles that you had in the context of, you know, a lot of our listeners right now are in the same way, you know, they're in the same situation. They're, they've got a spare bedroom. They've got a home office, so to speak. And they're just getting something started, don't know what it's going to become, if it becomes anything. But it could likely, because the way e-commerce is blowing up right now, become something big. So what are some of the things that, that you wish you had known, some of these pitfalls, some of these traps going into it that you could share with us now? 
I think that there's a lot of common mistakes that, well, I say this a lot on, on the Startup Hustle podcast, and also we launched a web series that you can find on YouTube. Go check it out, Startup Hustle TV. It's been out for like two weeks. But, um, you know, business is hard. And I think that people in general, because if they've never done it and they've never been an entrepreneur, they've never had a startup, they've never owned a business, they grossly underestimate that. And we talk about an accidental business. So what does that mean? An accidental business is usually someone that stumbles into something, realizes they can make some money and they keep doing it and it grows. But more so, it's related to people that have a passion for something and they start solving a problem or filling a need. And like, I, let's say, let's just say, for example, and this is a weird example. So I don't know why it's the first thing that came to my head. Say you love glass blowing as a hobby. And then all of a sudden people are like, Hey, I'd like to buy your art. So you're making more of them and more of them and more of them. What happens in a lot of these situations is people that never really wanted, they never really intended to be a business owner are now business owners and they don't have the, the background, the education or the experience. And they get forced to, and here's the thing too, is they're not often not passionate about those things. So you tend to do what you find most interesting and what you're most passionate about. And that, in this case, that would be the, oh, this guy likes blowing glass and making art, not necessarily managing and owning a business. The problem is, is the bigger it gets and the more you ignore this stuff, the bigger the ball of rubber bands you're building gets and the more stuff you're going to have to clean up later or it just can really contribute to a lot of loss and lack of accountability. So... I mean, there's a lot of different, lot of different avenues you can get into. Okay, so an accidental business is one thing, but an intentional business is another thing. And I want to talk about that for a second because I think the biggest mistake that, and I'm primarily from the quote startup world, which is a little different than like, and I do think that that entrepreneurship exists in a lot of different forms. So if you open a franchise, like a subway, you know, you're going to get business on day one, you open, yep. you turn on that open sign and someone's going to come in and buy a sandwich. Uh, so your path to revenue, and this is really the foundational element of starting a business and where so many people uh, really get themselves into trouble and underestimate stuff. So those kind of businesses are predictable and you have a lot of help. You know that someone's going to come buy sandwiches. doesn't mean you're going to make a profit, but you probably have some money coming in. A lot of other people want to start a business or something where that isn't predictable. And what they do is they, they write a plan. That plan is nothing but optimistic. And it doesn't, it, it, the one thing I can tell you about your business plan it, that I'm certain of is that it's wrong. <laughs> and a hundred percent of business plans and future projections are wrong because they, when I hear the word projection, I immediately think wrong because it's a guess. So starting a business is exciting. It's up, it's uplifting. You feel optimistic. And the byproduct of that is usually bad planning. And because you're like, oh, yeah, you know, four months from now, we're going to have 20% of the market share, we're going to crush it, all these things are going to be great. And then all of a sudden, you realize it is harder to find business, it is harder to make sales. And then the thing that really, really gets you is because you don't know what you don't know yet, there are a ton of one time costs and other things that come up that are going to shorten 
your your runway for the mm-hmm. amount of cash that you have. So, you know, when you talk about a runway, you start a business with X amount of money in the bank. If you estimate that as being too tight, it gets dangerous in a hurry and you start to feel financial pressure early. That's why a lot of businesses fail fast. And then a lot of them get into hot water and they start having to make decisions and borrowing money and making doing stuff that they normally wouldn't because they had been overly optimistic about how fast it would be. So generally you want to assume like they'll, they, meaning just the world, will usually say double whatever your estimate is. Like it's going to take twice as long and cost twice as much. I think you should triple it because the worst thing that's going to happen is, well, then you're really wrong, but you give yourself that flexibility. So don't make assumptions that things are going to go well. Now, we love quoting Mike Tyson on the Startup Hustle podcast. And Mike Tyson said, everybody had a plan until they got punched in the face. <laughs> yeah. It's a great, you know, that's the thing. Yeah. Like people go in to fight the guy and they're like, I got this plan. And then he smacks him. And it's like, that plan goes out the window. One thing I can guarantee is that an entrepreneur and a business owner, you're going to get punched in the face and a lot. So that that's going to throw your plan out. And there are other things that just aren't predictable, especially when it comes to people. And, and that's the, really the next thing is, a lot of people want to start a business and they look to the first person next to them, which is often friends and family, which I'm just going to tell you right now are overwhelmingly the odds are those are going to be your worst employees. Yep. And if you, and I don't hire my friends and family because if you want to keep them as your friends and social family, don't bring them into your business because no one's going to care about your business as much as you do. And then also you're likely to be disappointed because, you know, it's like I said, people turn to that because it's near them. Now, finding the best people now for early stage business, you want to find people that are flexible, people that can do a whole lot of different things. And I compare that type of early, early stage business employee to a Swiss army knife, as opposed to a sword. A sword is someone that's like, Hey, I'm good at one. I'm an accountant. And that's all I do. And then you have like a Swiss army knife. That might be someone that could, I don't know, maybe they have some design skills or they can build you a website or they're good. I don't know. They're good at more than one Mm -hmm. thing. And they're interested in doing more than one thing because you're going to have the smallest staff ever early and having people that have agility and ability to do different stuff is really going to help you out. So, you know, look, it really try to, you're going to want to be cheap. Everyone wants to be cheap with their, with their employees when they start. I did it. I see other people do it. And you probably have to learn the lesson yourself. And then you'll go, oh yeah, that guy on that, that AMPM podcast told me I shouldn't have done this. But the thing is, is really in the end, you want the best people possible because the overall value, the culture that they bring, and really it's hard to ever gauge it because you're missing a whole lot of potholes and money pits and just, you know, you talk about crawling down the rabbit hole, you know? So, and, and that leads to my next part is try to be good at one thing at your business, like be like a plus amazing at it before you try to be good at six things. Yeah. 
biggest mistake I see startup founders make, especially in, in my world of tech. And they're like, yeah, I've got all these features I want to build. I'm like, you pick one. You want to build an, a minimally viable product, or I actually like to use an MLP, a minimally lovable product. Be, be an expert on one thing before you try to be an expert on six, because that approach, it waters you down and you're just going to end up being average at a bunch of stuff. Sure. So yeah, I mean, th those are some of the more common things we come into. And then, and now you got the whole journey of businesses growing. Do you find the same problems? Oh yeah. I, it, everything that you just mentioned is everything that I do. You know, I've, I've hired friends and family. That was a disaster. The second thing th that I've done is I've made employees friends, right? That's something people don't talk about a lot, but especially in a small startup business, you know, that culture, like you want to be buddies with your employees and you think that that will breed like a higher sense of loyalty. And frankly, you might just like them. You know, you work with them every day, man, that's a problem because when they start to suck it up, it's really hard to hold them accountable and you don't see things objectively. Um, that's one of the big things. Me, I try to do everything. I'm getting better at this, you know, trying not to be an expert at all of these things and say, hey, I suck at bookkeeping. Why would I try to be a bookkeeper? Like I can, I can outsource that. I suck at organization. I'm really good at bringing opportunities. So let me quit spending the 70% of my day trying to be organized, hire an executive assistant, and let me just go bring opportunities, let them organize me, right? So it's all stuff that over the past five or six years, I'm slowly learning, but not an expert at. Let me go back for a second. You're talking about business growth. We've talked about two things, um, kind of an accidental business and an intentional business. Now, when you were sitting in your bedroom, which became your million dollar bedroom, so to speak, you were intending to create some revenue, but you still call it an accidental business. Now, my suspicion is the, the, the point of that and the difference is there are a lot of people out there trying to create revenue, a side hustle, a little extra money a month, whatever it is, and it accidentally becomes a real business. Is that what you mean? Or can you explain the difference between like, you know, what an intentional business is versus an accidental business? An intentional business would be me, Matt and Tim sit down and we say, you know what, we, we want to we build and sell widgets and we and then we create a plan and a whole lot of stuff and we literally our intent from the from the jump is to start and own a business together and you know or at least at least really deeply explore that before getting too far into it an accidental business is is usually, like I said, it's kind of like that side hustle kind of thing. So I'll tell you my story, and, it, and it's kind of interesting. So I mentioned being around the music industry, and I'm passionate about music. So I had purchased, so the band Fish uh, broke up for a while. They went on hiatus, and they and in 2008, or it was 2009, actually, excuse me. In 2009, they got back together, and they were coming to play a show in Indianapolis, where I lived, and I'd always been a fan. So I went to buy tickets, and they were sold out right away. I was like, dang it. And so the next day, they had another show that went on sale at another venue, and I've always been enterprising. I was like, you know what? Maybe I'll try to buy some tickets there, and I bet I could trade someone or do something with them. So I bought – now, I, the next day, tickets went on sale, and I got a little carried away. I actually bought 16 tickets just because I could. I didn't even know why. And all of a sudden, I was like, what am I going to do with these tickets? <laughs> I sold them on eBay, and I made like 400 – a couple hundred bucks. Like, for, I don't know. I made some money, and the light bulb popped on my head. I was like, Whoa. That was interesting. So I did it again. 
And I did it again and I did it again. Now, having worked in and around the music industry, it gave me a pretty, I had an advantage because I kind of knew what was hot, what was up and coming and a lot of this other stuff. But it started with me either being in class and like tickets would go on sale. And I'm like, instead of paying attention, I'm like a ticket master trying to just buy two (laughs) tickets uh, or doing it from home. And, and, and now at the time, people think that e-commerce and the internet is like way down the road 12 years ago. So in 2009, that was when the iPhone two was out. Yeah. All right. And th- it was like, and like StubHub had just become a thing. Like there was a lot of really formative industries. So, you know, so what, what so the, I, I immediately ran into some problems and this is another thing you run into in early stage businesses. Well, at the time, like tickets weren't electronic. As, the, as they often are now. So we would buy tickets. I remember I had this credit card with an $8,000 limit. We maxed that thing out in a hurry because you're buying four tickets at a time. It's like two, $300. You're doing it, you know? So yeah. then we'd have to wait for the tickets to come in and we had to ship them out and it took forever to get paid. And I kept running into, into we, we were maxed out. Uh, and because I'd gone to school for a year, actually a year and a half at that point, I'd exhausted a lot of my immediate cash. So I actually funded that company with a stack of credit cards that I collected from my poker buddies who wanted the points. And it took me about three months. So as each month went by, and I wrote about this in Million Dollar Bedroom, which by the way, you can buy Million Dollar Bedroom on Amazon for $1.99. I don't try to make money off selling the books. It's a, I refer to that book as an educational narrative. And people have enjoyed it because I tell you the story and I tell you why I did everything, like from forming the entity to all the the good, the bad, the ugly. But yeah, so as we were playing, I would go to, I had a weekly card game that I played across the street, like a little $20 buy-in. And the first month I was like, yeah, you know, I made like a couple hundred bucks selling tickets. The next month I was like, I made $2,500. And then the next, and then the third month I had hired my friend to come help me. And my friends were really making fun of me because Seinfeld was still a thing then. And they said that I had opened Kramerica, um, like Kramer on Seinfeld had a weird business in his house and no one yep. knew what it, what they really did. So they kept calling my business Kramerica. And when I had hired my friend, they were like, dude, you even got an intern like Kramer. But I started getting my friend's attention and they started asking a lot of questions questions and and these are guys that are like MBAs and business people and and stuff like that and they wanted to be entrepreneurial so yeah I literally funded that business with a stack of credit cards that's how I took care of the cash flow problems but when that started occurring we were buying even more stuff and then more things needed to be shipped and you know like much like you said I'm not Mr. Organized um I, I like to sell stuff and I leave a, I leave a trail. Like I'm kind of like the Tasmanian devil, right? I'll sell everything in the store, but I'm not going to promise you what the store is going to look like afterward, you know? And, yeah. and, and I'm probably not going to clean it up either. I'll probably just get back <laughs> to selling other stuff. So, so as that business grew, I quickly found that I had a couple issues. One, we didn't know what the hell we were doing. Right. We had to figure out every part of it. So if you don't open a franchise or a proven business model, another thing you're probably going to underestimate, you need to consider the fact that everything you do is you're probably doing it for the first time or the second time. Yep. And you got to figure out how to do that. Yep. Like, what do we do when the phone rings? Like, how do we answer the phone? <laughs> yep. Like, that is literally like a question you have to answer. And like, what do you do with certain things? And that becomes very time consuming. And 
you know, and then like trying to scale it, you know, now I have my buddy working for me who, by the way, I ended up firing like a month later because he was a terrible employee and the dude never spoke to me again. So, you know, as, as a lot of that went through, like we had never intended to make that a business. I wanted to supplement my income. And then I realized I was like, whoa, I can make a lot of money doing this. And that's what we went through a whole series of that. I owned that business for eight years. And I mean, quite honestly, I, I, and I don't, I, I think it's uh, uh, not cool to let true numbers out, but we definitely made over a million dollars in the million dollar bedroom. Um, and uh, along the way, we did a lot of other stuff. That's where I hired my first employees in the Philippines, which some of them still work for me at full scale now. 12 businesses later, we also founded a tech company halfway along the way. So we're always looking for different things. And I think that good entrepreneurs and successful ones aren't afraid to fail. And they're not afraid to try 10 things looking for the one that works. The trick and the key is you got to be able to eject or get off those horses fast enough, like figure out what's going. So my, I tell people what I'm looking for when it came to that business or marketing or anything, I'm looking for a crack. And when I find that crack, I'm trying to hurry up and figure out how I can shove an elephant through it. Yeah. (laughs) So you can find these little things. And I even say in the first part of the book, like you can read this book, but you're not going to get a blueprint about how to make a million dollars. Cause I already did it and other people did it. And now that and it's just not that easy anymore, yeah. but you got to keep trying different things and different stuff and can't be afraid to fail. So with the, with the, the accidental business, you come into it with no planning, no prep and none of it. And if we, now if Matt and we're going back to Matt and Tim's widget shop, well, we have some, I had enough experience to do some basic business planning. We, we need Tim, we need a cash register. In an accidental business, you didn't plan for that. You didn't provision for it. You certainly didn't budget for it. And you get into other things too, like with the, with the ticket business at one point, and I'm serious about this ball of rubber bands, it grew so quickly. We had to shut it down for a, almost a week and a half once because that ball of rubber bands, what do I mean? I'm talking like our purchase orders and our invoices had gotten to be such a mess that if we just kept buying and selling the way that we were, we were never, it, we, we had to stop everything to catch up with it and actually do it right going forward. Cause we were just struggling with all of it. And, you know, and during that time, not only did we fix the accounting needs, we had shopped for a point of sale system and a lot of other stuff that would have helped us. But once again, in an accidental business, you don't provision for any of that because your intent wasn't to start a business that was quote serious yeah and i want to go back briefly to what you're talking about 12 businesses later and you're talking about um people not dumping stuff quick enough i think that that's that's something that i've struggled with early on and i've gotten much better on but i see people doing this all the time as they get um i don't know if it's complacent comfortable if they just get stubborn you know they they start down this path and they think that path is this road, you know, you start here, this is where it's going to end. What they don't realize is that path may be a dead end, but there's a million other paths that spawn off of that. They're going to be better and better. And, you know, people will hold on to just a complete, you know, dead, dead horse for too long. You know, I tell people like always putting lipstick on a pig, you know, trying to make this better than this. But what they don't realize is there's so many other better opportunities that are opening up every day and walking down the path of that thing that, that is going to be a failure is not 
waste of time. It's not lost time. It's not, it's not something that you shouldn't have done because you had to start down that path to find another one, to find another one, to find another one. So you're just investing in future opportunities. And I think that's something hard uh, to balance, especially when we have to consider shiny object syndrome. Another thing that I struggle with, there's so many opportunities, you know, which way to look, which one am I running down? And, you know, I, I become overworked, I become overwhelmed, I become um, distracted from the other things. So how do you find that balance between, hey, dumping something and moving on versus, hey, sticking with this and not getting shiny object syndrome? I, by the way, I refer to that as entrepreneurial ADD. Because, <laughs> um, I mean, that's really what it is. And, yeah. and I have it. Um, I, I, a lot of entrepreneurs do because we're naturally inclined to explore opportunities. But um, I mentioned earlier in this episode that to try to be great at one thing before you try to be great at sex. And that kind of that's where a lot of that came from when it comes to hanging on to things too long. Um, well, as entrepreneurs, we're often uh, confident and driven, and that kind of comes with a lot of the territory, which also means we're egotistical, and we sometimes don't like to admit that we're wrong. And I think that that stubbornness has a lot to do with that. And, you know, like you want to a good idea and wanting an idea to be good are two very different things. And it, it's not I think it's often well, the biggest reason that businesses go out of fail, that businesses fail is a bad product market fit. And there are certain things that you just like, there are laws of economics, like supply and demand that you just can't overcome in some cases. Like if there's no demand for what you're selling, it doesn't matter if it's scarce yeah. or not. It's just not, it's not something that's, that's great. Um, in regards to, I think one of the things that businesses often do that's in that entrepreneurial ADD space. So we'll look at, at, at McDonald's. So the, the McDonald brothers at one point looked at their whole menu and they said, you know, we, we make all of our money off selling hamburgers, fries, and shakes. And they said, well, why do we sell the rest of this stuff then? We don't make any money. It's just a pain in the butt. It's more work to keep up with. Like, why don't we just sell these three things? And they look at each other and they said, can we do that? Yeah, we can do it. It's our business. We can do whatever we want. So, and that's an example of being great at a couple things. Like, uh, I know some of the listeners might not be in Kansas City, but we have a restaurant here called Raising Canes. All they serve is chicken fingers. That's like, the, like basically the whole menu. Like, what kind of chicken fingers do you want? And... <laughs> But the thing is, is every time I drive past that place, there's like 20 cars deep in the in the driving because they are really, really good chicken fingers. And if the line wasn't so long, I'd go there more. But, you know, so but that's an example about having expertise. And, um, you know, the, the thing is, is when it comes to especially early stage resources are precious attention is your attention is precious and your focus is 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 platinum so the more things you're trying to do and also you mentioned earlier hey i'm not organized or i don't like to do this find people to go do that stuff and and we're in this golden age of like freemium and all these different platforms like you can like use platforms like gusto and do your payroll like yep. pe i see people trying to do their own payroll i'm like you are crazy like you can offload that for like 60 bucks a month to a machine yep. and you know so so the, and those are the things that you get forced into chasing I, and you know, the last re I mean, one of the last reasons I think that stubbornness is too many people just get in this mindset. It's that complacency. They're like, this is always the way we've done it. So it will always be the way that we do it. And that's a really dangerous mindset because 
a lot of times you grow out of your need to do things, but then your business keeps doing them. You're just wasting resources, wasting time, and you're not focused on the right stuff. So, you know, as far as shiny things go, for me, I, well, every year I tell my wife that my New Year's resolution is I won't start any new businesses, um, which I usually am wrong about. Uh, last year I got it right, but instead I started my own TV show with Startup Hustle TV. And she's like, that's kind of like a business. I'm like, yeah, but I didn't form a new entity. Uh, but if, if you're going to think about doing something new or taking something else on, I want you to think about where you're trying to go. You're trying to get to the mountaintop as an entrepreneur and you have a backpack on while you're, while you're doing this. So everything you add and everything you want to do and everything else you pick up, you're throwing in that backpack and you're going to have to carry it with you or offload it. And if it's not something that is going to be a primary driver of revenue or something that keeps your revenue in place, then it's probably not worth focusing on. And, you know, like all you can do is all you can do. So, and it's hard. I've gotten way better at this as I've gotten older. And I think some of it is just wanting to not do as much stuff. But if your idea and what you're thinking about or chasing doesn't have a multiple of opportunity greater than what your business is already doing, you're probably best to focus on, on what you're already doing. Yeah, got it. All right, so we've talked about some of the pitfalls, some of the the problems that we all have. And when I say we all, I don't just mean me and you. I mean probably most of the listeners here. Let's talk about opportunity because, you know, I think it's important to talk about the mistakes, the problems, the pitfalls, the hurdles. And sometimes it's a little bit discouraging. Sometimes it's even more daunting, like, oh, my gosh. what? So talk about the opportunity of entrepreneurism right now. Is it greater than it used to be? Is it about the same? Is it is it still a great time to to try to build a business? I, I think that that entrepreneurship is trading at an all time high right now, and tech had a lot to do with that. Yeah. Uh, you look at the, some of the biggest companies and the wealthiest people in the world. Like, I mean, hey man, fifteen years ago, Elon Musk was the founder of PayPal. You know, it's like, and that's the richest dude in the world right now. And, you know, so some of the multiples and the different things, and there's so many different solutions that technology provides answers for. That's also why my business at FullScale has grown so fast. And if you don't mind, if you go to FullScale.io, if you need software developers, that's what we help with because we have 400,000 job openings in the U.S. and we don't have people to fill those jobs for programmers. So, you know, opportunity is everywhere, but that tells you like how big the tech industry is. Now, as far as, so, so okay, but I'm not a quote tech person. You look at like what you do with uh, e-commerce and, and just the different things, like you could have a drop shipping business or like there's just so many, if you have a computer and you have time and you have drive, you can make money online. Like I, Uber wasn't a thing when I, I'm old. You know, Uber was, I would have loved Uber when I was 25. I would have been driving Uber everywhere I go. I would have been like, my buddies would have been like, Hey, come over and bring a 12 pack. I'd be okay, cool. But it might take me a little bit. Cause if I catch some Uber, if I get some Uber passengers on the way there, I'm going to do that. But you know, and that's entrepreneurship still yep. though, like going out of your way to do it and make money doing it. Um, so, I mean, there's just so many opportunities, but opportunities are also wolves in sheep's clothing because I think great ideas are everywhere. I mean, I literally have a book here. I don't know if anyone's watching 
on this. This dude, this book is literally filled with ideas. And I just held up a hundred page binder. Uh, it's legit filled with what I would call million dollar ideas. And those sound fascinating in the beginning, but I don't know, like you, you can't even retire on a million bucks in some places anymore. Yeah. So you, know, you got to pick the ideas that have a high upside, but really none of them. It just, you get the best idea in the world, but if you, if you, it's all about execution. Execution is what's valuable and what matters. And without it, the rest of the form, the entrepreneur formula abysmally fails because like I said, you could have a great idea. You could have a great market, you could have a great product, but if you can't execute it done, you're out of business. You are going to fail for like nine different reasons. So, but there's a lot of different things. I, I, yeah. I mean, to answer your question, I, I think entrepreneurship is more prevalent than others uh, than ever. And on top of it, you know, you have all of these things that are there to help you as an entrepreneur. There's all these, you know, like organizations and economic development groups. Uh, you know, I was on my podcast, I was talking to someone that was a little older than me that was saying, I remember when there were 30 venture capital companies in Silicon Valley, there are now over 5,000 VCs and funds just in the U S Yep, that tells you that there, I mean, that, that is, there's a reason for that. And those are, they want to invest in, in businesses and, yeah, I mean, it's really trading at an all-time high. And let's go back really briefly to this thing about you being a poor student. I know you went back to business school, but talking about VCs, I see this all the time where the resume is not always dictated by traditional education or corporate jobs or corporate training. And I'm even seeing that now with like VCs where VCs don't really care as much about that. VCs are looking for people that are innovative and that can lead, not so much have a resume. Are you seeing the same thing as well? So uh, I mentioned having recorded over 500 episodes of our podcast, and it's all about startups. So with that, we've had a lot of VCs, like Silicon Valley Bank is one of our sponsors of our podcast. So they, we get a lot of inside info and looks that just about trends. And okay, so no one in tech, no one cares. No one cares. They don't care if you have a college degree. Um, and, you know, as an entrepreneur, no one cares. They care. I care about what you can do and how you're going to do it and also what you've done. So now if you're 21, don't drop out of college because I said that because there are a large number of professions where you can't even do them without, you can't be a, a you know, a CPA without the degree. Yeah. And without I don't want my doctor to have dropped out of medical school. <laughs> true. True. You do not want the guy that's last in his class. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, but that's the beautiful part about being an entrepreneur. I really did people. I really did drop out of five colleges and I was not a good student. And the reason I wasn't a good student is I either got an A or an F because I have ADD. So if I liked it, oh, I was all over it and I crushed it. But if I wasn't interested, I just didn't care and I didn't do it. Uh, I see people, especially with software development, like, it, well, I, I see young people, I have, have pe my friends will reach out and they'll be like, my son is going to quit college because someone's offering him $100,000 a year as a, a software developer. Is that a bad idea? And I'm like, if he wants to be a software developer, tell him to go get paid. You know, yeah. and, you know, especially the way that you're like, because what's the what's what else is he going to do? Run up another hundred thousand dollars of college loans exactly. and then go get that same job. So, yeah. So there's a lot of things. Entrepreneurship does not care 
what your educational credentials are. Now, I mentioned talking to a lot of VCs and investors on, on the Startup Hustle podcast, and I ask all of them the same thing. I say, do you bet, I say, you can bet on the jockey or the horse. Which one do you pick? 100%, one, still to this day, unanimous vote, we bet on the jockey because people make things happen, Found especially founding teams. Like you get three people that are, especially if you have experience and you've done it, it gets easier and easier and easier to become an entrepreneur. With all the stuff that I've done, if I decided to just throw it all out and go start a startup, I would have an easy time finding backers, investors, partners, all of that, because I've done stuff. And so anytime, and don't, don't like, so what is your skill? What are you an expert at? Because and being able to clearly define and, and tell someone that, like an investor or anyone else, like if it's real obvious that you that your expertise is there, well, it makes it pretty easy for people to want to get behind you as being an expert at that. And that's back to that whole thing, like pick something and get real good at it rather than being average at six things. So, you know, I, overall, it, it, and like I said, I, I have a lot of respect for credentials and the pedigree. And, and I would have loved to have, fi- I would have finished that, that business school. My plan was to get an MBA from there. I loved, I loved doing it. The problem was I got, I basically got halfway through it. And the business that I had started to try to help me get through school was making so much money that I was like, you know what, I could go back to school later, but this opportunity is in front of me right now. And I, we really were, we're making a lot of money, you know, and, and we made a hell of a lot more after. So I do not, I'm not going back to college, by the way. Um, (laughs) I, I do think that because of the high number of employees I have in the Philippines, I stand a chance of catching an honorary degree from a, uh, from a school there. So I'm really banking on that at this point. I'll get back with you. On that. <laughs> That'll really polish yeah. off your LinkedIn account, an honorary degree. Well, we work with some schools there and, have, yeah. and hire some of their students occasionally. But the thing is, is I don't want, I won't just get an honorary undergrad. I want to literally go to having letters behind my name and <laughs> skip the whole undergrad or I, I won't even accept it. So. Got it. Got it. Well, thank you so much for kind of sharing your story, talking about your, um, your path, but also some of the pitfalls. Before we sign off, everybody that's listening likes good recommendations to continue their education. We know that we've heard about your podcast. You've got some books, not a book that you've written. Can you recommend another book that everybody should get their hands on? Like one book that made a huge impact in your life, business related, what would it be? The story brand. The story brand. Okay. All yeah, you that are listening, I can't, I can't even remember who wrote, I can't even remember who wrote it, but uh, it, it teaches you how to tell the story of your business, the problem you solve, the features, advantages, benefits of whatever it is that you offer or sell, and how to do that in a manner that I think that Donald Miller is the author. If that I might be right about that, or might be wrong. Sorry if you're listening, Donald, or whoever you are. Um, <laughs> but the, it teaches you how to tell that story. And I, the one thing I've learned is that entrepreneurs, the most successful entrepreneurs I know, are excellent storytellers, and uh, it it helps you sell, it helps you communicate, and it sets it up in a format that teaches you how to do it in the format that we are trained as Americans to receive, which is of like a movie, you know, like literally a movie 
is like you have a character that character has a backstory he has some problem he needs to solve he often tries to solve it fails he meets a guide like obi-wan kenobi was a guide he was a mentor they do some teaching they usually try to address the problem again they get knocked down they go back power up figure it out come back in for a win and then they celebrate or have some kind of ritual at the end and that is literally i just ruined the plot line of every movie you'll ever see it 99.9 percent of movies follow that exact format and that's why telling the story of your own brand or what you're selling in that same format and doing it quickly and efficiently makes it remarkably palatable when it comes to marketing, sales, and helping those that you want to communicate with understand what exactly it is you do. Got it. Makes perfect sense. Great recommendation. Um, in case anybody wasn't listening before, how can they contact you? What's the best way to follow you? <clears throat> oh, man. Google Matt DeCourcy. <laughs> and I mean, I, I, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can go to startuphustle.xyz if you're interested in learning more about our podcast. We did just launch our own reality show. Uh, it's literally five episodes in. Um, I'd like it if, if anyone listening went and checked that out because we're telling the story of entrepreneurship and doing it through the lens of entrepreneurs. And don't watch it with your kids, people. It is it is unfiltered and raw. Like we are, and it, there's a lot of failure and there's a lot of lessons and there's a lot of victories too. But yeah, that's a new project for us that we spun out of the podcast. And, and, you know, like all my books will, will balance me and million dollar bedroom are as cheap as, as Amazon will let me sell them. It's so like a dollar 99 and, you know, I give them away free occasionally um, it, when they let me do that twice a year. So yeah, there's, I, I'm out there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for spending an hour with us uh, with this great content. For those of you listening, make sure to drop a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to and check out the, uh, especially the $1.99 book, but also the podcast and everything that uh, Matt has going on. Thank you, Matt, for being here. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you guys on the next episode.